Good morning. Would you please join me in the reading of the word found in uh, Numbers chapter 13? Verses 25-31. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to this land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are all well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land at which we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants And it is a land, and all the people that we saw in it are of great size. They were, they, we, there we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites come to the Nephilim, and to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. The word of God for the people of God. Well, it is truly a privilege and an honor to be before you this morning. I have to say at the outset that uh, I know your pastors well and consider them dear friends. Uh, They never cease to inspire me about how they talk about you, their love for you, how they have this amazing zeal to see the church grow in so many ways, including in spiritual maturity. So I am honored to be entrusted to this pulpit with such a great church. Thank you for welcoming me and my family. But you're probably wondering... That's not Micah. Uh, <laughs> who are you? And, uh, and nor I can also tell you it, it's not, you know, bring your child to work day or high school student ministry day as well. Uh, my name is Guy Moreno, and I am a recent transplant to Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, and uh, you saw my beautiful wife, Esther, and my two little rambunctious children, Grace and Gideon. Um, there's not much to me. Uh, I'll say professionally I'm a lawyer by training. Recently, with this relocation, changed into a new role where I lead the ethics and compliance program for my company that's headquartered in Albertville, Alabama. Um, But if there's anything that you should remember about me, it's this, that I fell in love with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, around 16 years of age, uh, and it's been a tremendous journey ever since. And like your pastors, my heart is really to see everyone that I know grow in a deeper intimacy with our Lord and our Savior. And that's what we're going to talk about. So where do we begin this morning? Well, we begin with this. I'm married to a children's minister, and so uh, I always try to have a little bit of a prop. We begin with these. Now, I have to admit to you all that I don't normally wear glasses. Uh, In fact, my vision is a little bit blurry right now, but I want to talk a little bit about these. I guess I wore glasses for all of two years when I was in law school, and then when I went to get my vision checked again, they told me I didn't need glasses anymore. Um, 
But I love them because they made me look older and in my mind a little bit more sophisticated. Right? <laughs> you see someone with glasses, you just think they know what they're talking about. <laughs> but the purpose of glasses is what I want to talk about this morning. Anyone who wears glasses knows that what they do is they correct our vision. They give us the ability to see a little bit more clearly. They are would help us to gain a better perspective on the world around us. And what I want to talk about is not physical glasses, but quite frankly, spiritual glasses. I want to talk about this concept of perspective. Now, perspective is really defined as a particular attitude or a way of regarding something, a point of view. But in a spiritual sense, uh, I want to talk about something called heavenly perspective. Now, what I'm not going to talk about is really just sort of a philosophy that's a, oh, the, half, the glass is half empty, half full. Or let's make lemons out of lemonade. That is not what this is. In fact, I want to talk about a spiritual form of perspective that I believe that if you're able to really allow this truth to settle on the soil of your heart can transform and revolutionize the way you see and do everything. I'm talking about a perspective that is a deep, intimate truth that can impact the way you see yourself, the way you see your family, the way you see your problems. It's really viewing everything from God's vantage point. So when I mention the term heavenly perspective, you won't necessarily find that exact terminology in Scripture, but where you will find is this principle from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is everywhere. The Bible often says it's praying for eyes that see and ears that hear. You'll see scriptures that talk about walking by faith and not by sight, letting this mind of Christ dwell richly within you, setting your thoughts that are on things that are above. Now, essentially what this principle means is viewing the world from a God's eye view. Seeing things not from how you would normally see things, but seeing it through the vantage point, through the lens of Scripture and God's heart about the situation. So in essence, what I'm asking you to do this morning is to exchange your glasses for God's glasses. Uh, There are a number of Scriptures that talk about this concept, but the, the Scripture that we read today, I think, really brings that truth full forward. Many of us are familiar with the story of the 12 spies, right? If we think about the scriptural background to that story, the children of Israel had emerged from slavery in Egypt a little over a year and and a half before this point. And they're crossing through the desert of Sinai, and they eventually get to this point called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was encamped right outside of this promised land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and their ancestors. And now they were in Egypt for over 400 years in slavery to the Egyptians. And finally, they've been set free through Moses and God using him to bring about ten plagues that eventually relinquished Pharaoh's control and let them go. They've seen the Red Sea parted and now they've been following the Spirit of God that's manifested himself as a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And they're following his presence until they get to this place Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea, outside of it. And Moses selects out of the 12 tribes one spy from each tribe, and he gives them exact instructions. 
For the next 40 days, I want you to go into this land and I want you to tell me about the land. Is it good or bad? Is the soil fertile? Tell me about the inhabitants of the land. Are they strong? Are they many or are they few? Tell me about the cities. Are they fortified or are they unwalled? In fact, bring me back some of the produce of this land so I can see for myself what you were doing. So for the next 40 days, these spies, they went and they scouted the land. And in the scripture reading that we just recited, they're bringing back the report. They're following Moses' commands to the T, and now they're telling him it's a good land. It flows with milk and honey. And here is the fruit. If we read in more detail, you'll see that they brought back a really big cluster of grapes, so large that they used two people to carry it on a pole. It's a great land. But there are also giants that live there. There are all of these enemy tribes, and we look like grasshoppers compared to them. And then you see Caleb, who says, all that, we should go take possession of it. And then you have the other ten that say, oh no, surely we can't do that because if we do, these people will attack us and we will not be able to survive it. The night after this, if you continue to read the story where we left off, you find out that the children of Israel believed the report of the ten spies and they mourned that night and they cried out to God and they grumbled, if only we had died in Egypt, surely we wouldn't have gotten to this point to be killed by these enemy people, which angered the Lord so mightily that that was the point, the decision point, where he decided that they would wander in the wilderness for 40 more years before they inhabited the promised land. In my view, this story powerfully illustrates this perspective. And if we compare the report of Caleb and Joshua to the report of the other ten spies, I think it'll pull for us some lessons that I want each of you all to take with you. Three lessons in particular. And I'll be brief because my wife is giving me the I'm timing you signal, which she likes to do. <laughs> so the first one is, how did they view themselves? How did they view themselves? My question for you is, do you see yourself as God sees you? Do you see yourself as God sees you? Specifically, the children of Israel said, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Compared to them, we were tiny, we were minuscule. In other words, we see ourselves as weaklings incapable of defeating this enemy nation that surround us. Many of their ancestors giving birth to future would be known as Goliath and David and Goliath, these mighty giants in their eyes. And that's the discounting that they did of God and of themselves. But do we see ourselves as everything God has called us to be? The Bible says that if we are in Christ Jesus, that all things are made new, that we are in fact new creations. That see, when we have given our lives to Christ and made him the Lord over our lives, that we become new creations, royal priesthood. That we are his workmanship masterpieces, that he's created good works for us to do and to walk in, but how many people actually, when they look in the mirror, see themselves as God sees them? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What do you battle with? 
This has been a, a transformative truth in my life. If we could go back 14 years, 20 years, the guy back then would not be able to stand in this pulpit right now. But God did such a renewing work in my life that I can talk to you and talk to many others in this setting because God can transform hearts, minds, and identity. Just to give you an example, when I was 14 years old, I went to a school that I had to take two buses to get to. And I was terribly fearful of people in general. My teeth were terribly crooked, and so in order to close my mouth, I actually had to go like this because they projected out so far. And that, among other things, caused me to be very insecure about myself. So insecure, in fact, that when I got off the bus to walk home, I would actually cut through the woods so that I wouldn't have to encounter another living soul on the way to my house. This was the fear that dominated me. But I am standing before you today, not by any work of myself, but because when God got a hold of my heart, he said, I have created you for such a time as this, for such a calling as this. And so you can't fear people because I need to put you on a platform for my glory. And I believe that all of us who have committed ourselves to Christ, he's given us such a powerful ministry, no matter where it is or what it is, but God has called us to do things for his kingdom. And until we embrace who he tells us we are, we will forfeit that blessing and how he wants to use us. So that's point number one. Do you see yourself as God sees you? Do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you know that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he knows how many hairs are on your head? The thoughts that he thinks towards you outnumber the seas, the sand, and the seashore. Right? This is the truth of what the Bible says about us. But oftentimes I run into people that have no concept of how awesome their Heavenly Father and Creator thinks they are. And as a result, they have no idea of how he wants to use them. Number two. How did they see their circumstances? How did they see their circumstances? One of the things that really jumps out at me about this scripture lesson is that it was the same report, right? The facts did not change. They solicited the ten spies' opinion. Yes, land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these beautiful grapes. Guess what? Terrible people that live there. Same facts for Caleb. Look at this, land flowing with milk and honey, terrible people that lived there, but where they differed, where their perspectives were different, was in what followed. So one of the things I want to talk about today is how are we viewing our circumstances? Why were there so dramatically different, a difference in how they viewed their situation? Because I think if we understand this, we will fundamentally understand big, big lessons that God needs us to see. Are you viewing your circumstances through the lens of your five senses? What you can see, touch, taste, hear, feel? Or are you viewing them with the lenses that God has given you? You know, one of the scriptures that I have always struggled with, my entire spiritual life comes from James. James chapter 1, verse 2, when he says, Count it all joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. I've always wrestled with that scripture. Lord, count it all joy when I am struggling. 
Count it all joy when someone in my family is sick. Count it all joy when I have to count every penny up just so I can pay this bill. Count it all joy when I've lost my job. Count it all joy when my mother was diagnosed with cancer. Count it all joy. It's one of those things that I have wrestled with my entire Christian experience, but I'll tell you that it's, it's through these lenses of God's perspective that we can even see our trials differently. What I mean by that is if you continue to read on, he says, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking in anything. In other words, there's even purpose in your pain. What the children of Israel didn't realize right there is that God had produced purpose in that. He didn't make it easy, but it was to grow them to refine them, to strengthen them. And had they seen through the lens that Caleb was looking through, had they seen through God's God's eyes, they would see there is even purpose in their pain. Do you view your circumstances through God's lenses? Do you view the trials that enter your lives, the challenges that you have, as an opportunity to lean in, to press into God's presence, Or are they just dismissed as something that's frustrating, discouraging, and meant for your bad? If we really believe God's word when he says that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to your purposes, then we would view everything differently. And not just those painful, difficult circumstances. I'm also talking about opportunities that God presents us. Even a trip to the grocery store, right, if we're viewing things through God's lens, can be an opportunity to change somebody's life. I have a friend. His name is Philip Hill. And currently, he's one, I don't know if anyone has friends like this. He's, he's one of a kind. But you know those friends that their relationship with the Lord is just on another level and it makes you feel like you're a baby Christian when you talk to them, those type of people. Philip is one of those people. And right now, he is in Israel as we speak. Why, Philip, did you go to Israel? Well, I want to learn how to speak Arabic. And they've got a great Arabic school in Israel so that I can minister to Muslims and teach them about Jesus Christ. So he has been over there for the better part of two years now. right? But before Philip went to Israel for this calling, he was one of those who was very sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And um, he told me a story that never left me to this day, but just thinking about viewing things through God's perspective. So Philip one evening, was very troubled in his spirit, and he felt like the Lord wanted him to share the gospel, right, with someone. He didn't know who, but it was someone. And he had been kind of looking throughout the whole day, and it was the end of the day, and he was tired, but he felt the tug of the heart, and there was was an older gentleman, not old older, but on on a motorcycle, who looked somewhat depressed. Well, Philip said, all right, I don't feel like doing it. This man actually looks a little intimidating, but nevertheless, I'm going to go up to him. And this interesting thing happened. The man confessed to him. Philip shared his faith, told him he felt like God had put him on his heart that whole day. And the man said, I am so grateful that you came up to me. I literally was contemplating suicide this very night. But because of this encounter, I realized that I don't need to just live for myself, but there's something more that God has in store for me. It gives me chills every time I think about that story because 
It was he, Philip was viewing his world through God's lenses and saw an opportunity to share his faith. He was almost exhausted and was going to bypass this man, intimidated and was going to bypass this man. His words may have saved literally this man's life physically and spiritually. And I believe that God presents those opportunities to all of us if we're viewing them through the lens of his will and his way. Finally, point number three. How did they see God's involvement in their lives? How did they see God's involvement in their lives? Lastly, and I think most critically, the ten spies completely discounted, reduced, and downplayed the role that God had in their lives. If you read on to chapter 14 in Numbers, we can get a glimpse of how God responded to when they wanted to completely end uh, and not go into the land. So in speaking to Moses, he said, But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? It breaks my heart that it broke God's heart that in spite of the miracles, in spite of this same people seeing him part the Red Sea and the ten plagues that he used to free them from the grip of Egypt, that they had already forgotten him. Despite getting this far in their journey, being filled, fed by manna from on heaven, being given quails when they cried out for meat, having their clothes and their shoes not wear out as they're tracking to this promised land. Right? Watching him as a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day, they still were able to say, oh no, <laughs> we can't possibly do it. And it's easy, I think, for us to discount him or discount their experience because they saw all that. But don't we do the same thing on some level? Have we not seen God's faithfulness in our lives? But yet when the next trial or circumstance or test comes up, we still are filled with anxiety and we act as if God can't do what he says he can do. As if he can't do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. We are very much like the Israelites, constantly overlooking God's faithfulness in our own lives. Instead of forgetting that with him, nothing is impossible. We take more comfort and security in the fact that our cars will start up every morning than we do in God's faithfulness in our lives. But we have to remember that with these God's eyes, God's view, heavenly perspective, that we can do impossible things to the power of God that works in us. And so in conclusion, I would like to invite all of you this morning to place your God's eye views on. When you look at your circumstances and your situations and the opportunities that he surrounds you with, keep in mind that the God you serve is real. He is active and he's alive and he's got great things in store for you if you only believe. Thank you.